As leaders striving to change our organizations and the world, we all face certain buts. B-U-T-S, buts. But we can't afford that, or but there's no time, or but we've always done it this way. My name is Teresa Tung, and I love hearing stories of people from all walks of life moving their butts and turning obstacles into opportunities. In this podcast, I will be interviewing leaders and changemakers from across diverse fields to share their stories with you. In this first episode of Butt Movers, I talked to Darina Garland about how she is moving her butts. Darina shares with me stories about how she is transforming both education and pizza making at home by being authentic and brassy, how human connection may just be the best antidote for budgetary constraints, and how she builds cultures where the very best ideas for moving butts can come from every person on the team. Join me to find out how Darina moves her butts and how you can move yours too. So I am here with Darina Garland, who is the leader of two very different organizations. Darina is the co-founder and co-director of Sukla, an educational consultancy that's shaking up the way changemakers connect and impact on education through professional development. And she is the founder and CXO, the chief experience officer of Uni, an outdoor cookware company. So, yes, you introduced me well. We have two companies, um, and yeah, Sukla basically was set up with my husband in 2007, and it, it came from a place of spending a lot of time in schools, um, really forming partnerships with teachers and young people. Um, we did lots of work around creativity and innovation, and then we, we quickly realized it would be better as a company. There was loads we could do actually listening to teachers to sort of help build the future of learning. So it was very creativity and, and um, education orientated, sorry, creativity and innovation orientated. That's since gone on to um, include my co-director, Claudia Barwell, who I want to mention from the outset because she is a massive butt mover in the sense of she's completely adaptive. Um, I'll talk more about her later. But Sukla um, is all really about creative problem solving and working with schools and young people. And it sort of leads into Uni because Uni was a company that uh, Christian had an idea. And when he was, uh, we, we were living in London, had a small back garden and he got really good at making pizzas. The thing is, it, he wasn't great at doing it and he felt that, that was because of the, the kind of lack of a wood-fired oven. Um, so the idea for Uni, for he created the world's first portable wood-fired oven, came from kind of challenging himself and solving that problem. So they're both very different. Um, and yes, I'm co-founder of both. Collaborate with, with those guys and more to, to make those things happen. But I'm, I'm really proud because they're both, um, yeah, about pushing innovation, really. And with each, t- tell us a little bit more about the innovation you're trying to push. Let's let's start with Sukla. What's the change you're trying to make in the world with Sukla? With Sukla, it's, it's grandiose, I'm afraid, or I'm happy to say. Um, we honestly want to transform the future of learning. What we want to do in a nutshell is to work with those within the education system, so especially teachers, practitioners and and young people, in order to build the future of learning. So it's quite an active enabler, that's what we're hoping for, rather than stuff being done to lots of work from politicians, often well-meaning, it has to come from the ground up and who's more of an expert than those within the education system. 
you know, we can talk a bit about OPI, which is one of our events, that our sort of baby event, the thing we did when we were thinking if we could do anything, if we had no agenda other than creating the most impactful learning event. Um, I know you've been to one of our events of OPI in Venice a couple of years ago, and that was about bringing together people, uh, often leaders, but cross-stakeholders, multi-stakeholders. So we did have educators there, we did have academics, we had edu-tech companies, we had parents, we had young people, we had NGOs, we had charities, uh, policymakers, you know, uh, the, the full spectrum. And what happens when you get those people together around the same conversation and to deal with challenges with peers, with, with people within who care passionately about transforming education. So connecting people who care passionately, especially practitioners, the teachers who are busily working on the ground, to create that better future of learning. That's the plan, exactly. And it's, it is really amazing when you, like you say, uh, often, especially educators, they're too, this is one of the buts, right? Educators are usually too busy to even go to learning conferences or education conferences because they're in classrooms facilitating and teaching. Um, it's a bit of a KPI now of, of Sukla is making sure that we build the events with the, the teachers, with the educators, and we consider things that will help them do what they're doing anyway. So rather than it be an add-on, nice to have, we look at the challenges that face them. We often do things on weekends as well, which means that, or they quite often straddle a Friday and a Saturday. So it means that there's a bit of give and take. The schools might give them a day off on the Friday, but they the teachers give their own time to go on Saturday because they see the value. So there's those kind of workarounds to try and go, how can we actually get the, the people that matter all there in the same place? If you enable them to come in the first place, the conversation changes and it's much more practice-led. Um, and then if you have genuine conversation so the policymaker or the politician isn't the one on the main stage necessarily leading the thought leadership but they're actually in conversation with practitioners on albeit they could be on the main stage or they could be in an informal session or they could be having a drink next to each other in the bar at lunch um, that all of those things are really helpful in kind of understanding perspectives and shifting things you know one of, we always make sure our Sukla's kind of DNA is what will you change on Monday morning in your boardroom or in your classroom or in your, um, I don't know, staff room? What will be the changes you're actually stopping and thinking throughout the process of the conference or the festival? And we quite often use narrators or curators to help pinpoint those moments for people to take stock and record their learnings because too often, even in the best best events you can be inspired and then go back to your schools or your workplace and go oh what did I learn I loved it but how, how does that actually work in practice here so that's a kind of another level of it but yeah it's about getting those people in the same space so some of those key pieces connecting people who may not necessarily um, be connected creating time and space for people to take stock and then translating that into action are some of the key features of what Sukla does yeah, and, and in the journey of developing this, transforming some of these more traditional formats or even creating new experiences that have never been seen before, I'm sure you've run into many obstacles or, as I put them, buts. Can you tell me about some of them and how you've managed to negotiate them? So let's say some of the buts we have to get around or to create um, a kind of, uh, yeah, a, an and so to go, okay, well, how can we drop the price so it's affordable? How can we encourage our speakers, our keynotes to do things for free or for really low cost in order to get the best in the world? And that's just about appealing to people and really connecting with them and challenging them to do something different. 
I actually think some of the best keynotes and the best speakers in the world get a bit jaded from doing the same thing that people can access anyway on YouTube. So Claude and I, we always challenge people to go, if it was your best case scenario, what would you talk to these teachers about? Or what would you, how would you run your session and to constantly challenge? And often um, coming at it, the problem or the, yeah, coming at the event from that angle excites people and makes them want to help and do things for pro bono or for a lower cost, which enables you to get the best people in the world to be involved. That's one really big barrier. So it sounds like a lot of the obstacles you've faced and are facing are around resource constraint, whether it's time or budgetary. Yeah. And, and I just want to go back to something that you talked about earlier, about how you managed to work with the budgetary constraint in terms of encouraging speakers to speak for free by tapping into maybe their core principle or their true passion for what they do. Can you tell me an example of when you've made that happen, when you've convinced a world-class speaker to come to an event for free um, because you were able to tap into something maybe even more important than, than finance? Yeah, we've got, well, I mean, I don't know if we're absolute charlatans or just really charming. I, I don't know, hopefully <laughs> neither, but we um, we we just have, a, I think because Claude and I are, are quite unassuming, so genuinely when we connect with people, it's because we think they're magic, we think they're really doing something special, and we, we tell them that honestly. Um, so rather than go, hey, can you do us a favour, can you come and speak at this event that costs, you know, £500 to attend, um, there's no budget, but yeah, do it for us. Um it's not that, it's kind of like, you know, we're designing this event, we want to make it accessible, it's a real challenge, so we paint, we tell the story. Um, our first ever Opie we did after, it was in Helsinki, it was really huge actually, it was, I think it was 1,200 people, and like I discussed, it went on a Friday to Saturday, cost 100 euro to attend, there was something like, how many, I'm trying to remember, it was about 120 different um, leaders, speakers involved over, you know, 13 platforms. It was a true festival and nobody got paid. Everybody did it because they were like, we are ready for something special. And a few real big wigs, you know, kind of Harvard professors or people who are used to charging tens of thousands of dollars for appearing started by saying that, you know, yeah, I'll come, but this is my rate. And we were like, oh, but so-and-so's coming and -and so-and-so's coming. And that really helped to go, Okay, so not only uh, we're trying to do something really different, we want to co-design it with you, but we've also got these these other people who are giving of their time because they are they too are ready to shake things up, and that yeah, it just happened. It was like a a lovely snowball effect where people were saw the generosity, um, and yes, there was a small fee for participants, but it was really accessible, and it was um, even more accessible if you really needed it. So we that was a big part of the sale. Is like we're not trying to make money here. We're trying to make something, something change happen, R-U-N. Um, yeah, it works. That's amazing. It, it works. That's, that's magic. So a, a big part of it is alignment between what you're trying to do and what others are trying to do. And by surfacing that really authentically in a genuine way, people want to help. And that's a great way to get around the budgetary obstacle. To bring together over 100 world-class speakers where nobody is getting paid is, is really quite incredible. Absolutely. Yeah, I hadn't even thought so clearly before these questions came about, you know, what is it that's stopping people? And it just so is. It's so often about budgets, you know, especially in the state school system, people just don't have it. So then, therefore, they don't necessarily access the the freshest, um, you know, most impactful, up-to-date learning. Um, And that's something we feel quite strongly about. As much as we want to make amazingly fun 
um, experiences. It only works if the content is absolutely pushing it and it's completely meaningful and cutting edge and up to date. So we that's why we, we shoot for the stars and we get them, you know. There's not, I honestly can't think of anybody that said no, I'm kind of prime ministers to, um, you know, NASA, to you know, people like maybe there's a diary issue, but that's why we have people phoning in or, you know, looking at ways around things to be involved. So, um, yeah, those are the kind of things that the reasons that we I think we get people on board. Um, they know that we're not doing it for financial gains, um, that we genuinely do want to move things on. And they can see already the caliber of people involved, which helps, you know. And I think one of the things that we do well is is we're not frightened to ask stars or people that are that are big. We we sort of try and get around the ego thing, or you know, like I talk to people on any anybody on the same level, and that that works. You know, nobody's that inaccessible actually if you've got the right ask. So I want to explore that a little bit further because you talk about being authentic and, and having met you, I can attest to that. You, you've you definitely got this warmth that you exude and it's super easy to connect with you. But on a personal leadership level, it takes a certain amount of bravery and boldness to be able to say, you, you know what, I'm going to call NASA and ask them to be part of this thing for free or I'm going to ring up the, the prime minister of Finland and I'm not afraid to do that. So... On a personal leadership level, how do you bring that sense of courage and can do to what it is that you do? Oh, it's, it's a great question. Um, I just I'm not not really intimidated by people. I'm mostly just impressed. So if you can get the balance right from like if there's someone you genuinely want to connect to, talk about why um, and um, think of a way in or some way that you can help them. Um, you know, there's some like often when we've been working with big partners, they're really, really keen to hear what young people see, think, or, or and connect that way, or learn about, you know, what, what is it like at the coal face, what are educators facing. So there's often things that you can do to be helpful in return, or connect them to genuinely help move on their challenges. So, um, but yeah, just generally to to think nobody is inaccessible, and to um, I don't know, one of those techniques for if you're ever nervous, imagine the audience naked, that kind of thing. It's like, well, everyone's a person. Everyone needs to like connection. And honestly, I think that it, whilst we're not going out of our way to flatter people, when we do connect with people, we tell them honestly what we think. And it, it's usually it's usually really positive. Otherwise, we wouldn't want to engage with them. And um, so just be open um and to look for kind of similarities. I'm not a particularly shy person, but I, I used to be. You know, I used to absolutely blush if I bumped into someone in the supermarket that I didn't expect no to see. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Like, massively. Um, and, yeah. But I don't know why. I don't know what got how I got past that, apart from just practice. And I just love people. That is my major thing. So if you're genuinely interested in people, then that, that uh, comes across. And you make that sound so easy, right? Like no one's ever too far away. And I, I love what you said earlier about being impressed but not intimidated and just connecting and realizing that ev- everyone's a person. And that's incredible. That's a really interesting mindset with which to approach potential obstacles of, oh, that person would never respond to me or, oh, they're out of my league or whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. So there's several people that we've gone, Claude and I, oh my goodness, we love them let's become friends with them and that is generally our our technique um that sounds a bit actually manipulative not even technique just to kind of go 
can we be imagine having coffee with them or and then it just it tends to happen you, you know you're always a few steps away from people people uh, people in the uni office are always um mocking me because i found out like a year ago that barack obama is following me on twitter they're like you're like best friend <laughs> i think i think he follows five hundred thousand people but then again it's not that many no, no, <laughs> so you're like not. you're never that not that far away from from the Obamas. Wow, that that's amazing. Um, Tom Hunter is one of Scotland's biggest philanthropists, and he's the same. Like he he um, and the, they've told us that we're quite brass neck. That you know what that means, like quite cheeky. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll just kind of ask people, but they're the exact same. You know, they they have they create this uh, business dinner. Um, it's a charity dinner every year, and they ask the questions like, who would be the best person, the most inspiring person to have? And they've got incredible people by just asking, you know, and connecting. And I, I just think it's a lesson of something at an even better scale that I knew anyway. You just ask and see what happens and, and be lovely, do good things, and hopefully you'll, you'll reap the reward. Yeah, I don't think I'm all that or, or we don't have big egos at all. But equally, I think when you scratch the surface or you ever meet anyone famous or important or, you know, a, powerful, a political figure or someone in spotlight, they're just normal you know and that's something that's a really good lesson to learn early on mm. and even things you know often looking at team members I have that are I'm 37 but team members that might be in their 20s and I think oh yeah I just didn't know that everyone's accessible you know the things that I would I don't know if you can learn it when you're younger but to, to go well why, why would you be why would you not put your hand up in that meeting or you know it's a much more everyday occurrence but I can see it and I think I was a little bit like that and then something happens in my early 30s and I just feel like why well, you know you should be in this discussion and you open your mouth and you know don't be don't be shy it's maybe something that's particular about women but I think that men get a bit sooner but like it's really interesting to look from a kind of a leadership position at the rest of the team and just want them especially the, the women workplace to kind of understand that you, you've got a seat at the table and deserve to be here. And I think that's how I reckon it is in the world as well. You know, as long as you're humble and you don't, you don't have a big ego and you're genuinely up for listening and learning from other people, then I think that comes across. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's a really great summary of some of those key lessons of what maybe you'd tell other butt movers, right? To, to be authentic, to be true to yourself, to not be afraid, not even just not being afraid to ask, but recognizing that you have a place at the table. Mm-hmm. Your voice is important and so does everyone else. So it's it's just about reaching out and making that human to human, person to person connection. Absolutely. Yeah. Well summarized. Okay. So switching gears a bit, let's talk about pizza. <laughs> Yeah, it's such a nice segue between learning and pizza. <laughs> I think I can make that segue work. Okay. <laughs> Shall I tell you a little bit more? So, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, Christian and I had Sukla. We were living in London. We were working with um, Claudia Lodes and had our first child. We, we had a small London back garden and Christian, he got a little bit obsessive about how to make truly great pizzas and we often say at Sukla that creativity is problem solving. And so I think that's a segue. He basically had a challenge. He knew that he needed wood-fired pizza. He thought, I'll buy a small portable wood-fired pizza oven that's not expensive. There wasn't one. And he designed uh, the first uni, which is about the size of a carry-on suitcase. It costs about, well, it costs $299 um, and put it on Kickstarter and got proof of concept. 
this the oven heats up to um, an American an American number is 932 Fahrenheit so that's 500 Celsius in just 10 minutes so um, really affordable really fast and so enables absolutely world class like restaurant quality pizzas in 60 seconds super exciting um, so now Uni is in 80 countries around the world we're selling by our own sites by, uh, by retailers our biggest market is the US We've got a, a range of products, mainly focused on being on pizza ovens, and um, we're quite a fast-growing company. We're about 35 people now, based out of Scotland, but say selling all over the world. So, really exciting. But our purpose, um, which completely links into Sukla, is about connecting people with exceptional food experiences. Um, as you mentioned at the beginning, I'm chief experience officer, and for me that means thinking about the whole experience, how could Uni, as well as you know, creating kick-ass pizza ovens and great products, how can we make sure it's a truly great company for people to work with, for the customers to understand for the experience of the product, for the customer experience, all of that really matters to me. That's why, as well as co-founder, that's my slightly made-up title, um, because those are the things that I care most about, so the, the people and the experience. Mm, I, I love that made-up title, Chief Experience Officer, and the emphasis on building the community. So let's unpack the Uni journey a bit more. You've described how the way it's been built has been, in a lot of ways, a reflection of our time. The crowdfunding, the global reach right from the outset, and, and so on. In a lot of ways, perhaps the traditional barriers to starting a business have already been lifted, like funding as one of those. But I imagine that even in this new landscape, obstacles have still come up along the way. <laughs> so many. So can you share some of those butts with me? Yeah, of course. There, there's loads of challenges that we are looking at at the moment. We're sort of, I, I feel like we're in a bit of a teenage stage in a way, even though we're almost six years old. The company's got done really well relatively organically. Um, we haven't spent masses on marketing and um, and in the traditional ways. We're trying to look at, you know, workarounds and innovative ways to connect. A relatively new employee, Alicia, came up with the idea of, like, what about we do an ad for the world's best job? And that was to come up with, um, put a campaign out for pizza taste testers. So it was, it was epically successful. It cost us practically nothing. Um, and that was a really a really good way to get through, get around the traditional, you know, if you make an advert, it costs this much money. It's, it's literally hundreds of thousands of pounds to do something properly and then the media costs. So that's, that's a, again, resources are often a barrier. Um, and she, so with the pizza taste tester idea, it was to actually connect with people, to put uh, the job out there. It got picked up by 400 publications around the world from, you know, loads across America, completely free press. And then we had over 5,000 applications, one-minute applications for people who want to be sort of mini ambassadors. Uh, one of the bots we're facing is how to, what what has happened so far is we've had great success. We've been on, you know, Ellen, the Ellen DeGeneres show. We've had LA Times cover us. Wired gave us a really brilliant review. Such great stuff. But in order to really next level it, we're now in the challenge of, is it straightforward money? Is that the barrier? Should we go down the traditional route? Or what about thinking about engaging this already very powerful, very passionate community more and building on word, word of mouth? 
So that's really interesting because it sounds it's, it's quite similar to the Sukla example that we were talking about, where resources are often a key barrier, especially financial ones. Yeah. And some of the innovative ways that you've been able to get around that but has been to unleash the creativity of everyone in your organization and to be able to tap into your community. And I find it particularly interesting that it was a, a relatively new employee yeah. who came up with that great example of the pizza taste tester. And so I want to explore that a little bit further because I imagine that's just one example of where within your company culture, you've been able to leverage very creative thinking from everyone. So how do you create that? Yeah, so we are, we have been absolutely blown away by the people we managed to attract. You know, I think I've been pretty lucky to be surrounded by passionate people in my, in my friends and in my life. Uh, my brother joined after leaving Goldman Sachs. Um, he was just so excited. We talked about, oh, we need somebody to come and be in sales, to lead up our sales. Instead of being reactive, you know, we really need to be strategic and build partnerships based on kind of where we think we need to go. But we really need a salesperson. Oh, we don't appreciate salespeople. You know, we want to build relationships. Uh, oh, someone like Connor would be amazing. So both Trisha and I had the same thought. We didn't speak to him until weeks later. I just said off the cuff, oh, we were thinking about someone like you for Uni, but we can't afford you. You know, we, we're a startup and we can't match a banker's salary. And he just went, stop. I am so excited. I don't care about money. Let me come in and help you build this. And that was incredible. And there's, you know, he's really, really helped us. About a year later, his, our good friends and Connor's best friend from nursery, like literally from nursery school, Andrew, um, was high up in KPMG and he said he'd like to help us and look at our books one year. And so he looked at our books and he was like, he made a proposal, I'm going to come and be your CFO. You, this is so exciting. So Connor was so shocked. He was like, if you cut Andrew in half, like a stick of rock, he would read to KPMG. He was really senior there you know, really, really loyal to what they were doing, but he just saw the excitement and wanted to, to be part of building something. We set ourselves really high goals, um, but having an empowered workforce is, is key to that, really. And it sounds like that that empowered workforce is your butt moving. You can anticipate some of the obstacles that are going to come up as you go through these, as you put it, teenage years. Yeah. And you've attracted some really great people and created a company culture so that together as a community, you can address these obstacles. And I want to come back to something you were saying earlier about how you attracted such high-profile experts to your startup company. This seems to really echo what you were saying with Sukla, that same thinking of, oh, we can't afford this person's salary, mm-hmm. was overcome by the connection with their passion and helping them to find their connection with your shared mission that enabled you to bring them in. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it was funny because he's my, Connor's my brother, so obviously we had a great connection anyway, but it just wasn't even, uh, it was more like a joke when we talked to like, yes, yeah, somebody like that. But when we mentioned it in passing, he was like, no, I, you know, he was so keen to be part of something um, that he could help drive. So when we were setting out to find the chairperson for the organization, we, we started, I started very clearly with like, this is what we need. Um, who would be the ultimate best person in the world? It wasn't, yeah, who's in Scotland, who's available, who, who's interesting. It's like, if we could have anybody. And that, that's the starting place. So yeah, it's, it's really that sort of confidence of at least asking has, has definitely stayed with us and is part of, part of that. And um, again, it's the same thing with, with Opia, with Sukla. If you have exciting people, it attracts exciting people. You know, we talk about hiring A players 
And that's it's a bit of a tricky phrase, actually, because people think, does that mean alpha? Does What does that mean? We don't want all alpha people in the team. But actually, it, for me, it just means people that are values aligned. In both what you've talked about with Uni and Sukla, there's just so much in terms of your mindset as a as a leader and your disposition. You know, thinking big and thinking not just who could we get, but oh, in the ultimate case, what could be. Yeah. And and coupling that with a real sense of authenticity of your purpose and a humility that really connects you with others. And all of this enables you with both organizations to create cultures that are very values driven and to create communities that are very values aligned. And, you know, success has beget success and it, it can keep growing. Oh, well, it's extremely generous of you and kind. I think that in terms of leadership, I am absolutely somebody that confers, that that works with, um, I'm lucky to have a really exciting executive board here in Uni that we, we challenge each other and we support each other. And that's, that is who I am. You know, I really enjoy having that team. So it's that, it's that uh, exciting people, bringing them together and then providing a platform to actually get on with it. So is that your, your sort of final words of wisdom for other butt movers out there? Get, get exciting people together and give them a platform. Yeah. Is there anything else you'd want to share? Yeah, I would, uh, I'd like in a coaching way, um, you know, think about if, if people do have, if people within our team have butts or reasons they can't do things, just provide a space for them to work through it. So if people know that you genuinely trust them and you think that they're, um, you know, they've got great opinions, then you can always steer and you can push back and challenge. But that's something that has really helped us grow excited excited team and hopefully we'll continue to do so so yeah get those butts out of the way but let them move their own and that's so exciting to hear from you because the proof is in the pudding as it were it's not just a philosophical stance you've seen the success of building organizations in this way both sukla and uni in terms of the the impact you've had on education and on stomachs <laughs> and the financial success of uni th- that all shows that this type of leadership is very successful yeah i mean and i've learned it from time in schools and seeing seeing like excited and empowered workforces so you know, there's there's great examples. We are not rare. I think just doing more of what you're doing today is sort of shining a spotlight onto great examples. That's what Opie tries to do. That's what these forums actually that are I'm part of or cohorts here in Scotland with really exciting peer companies. It's really important to learn from each other. So thank you for having this platform, shining a light onto what others can do and what people are already doing is really helpful. So thank you. No, thank you. It has been an absolute honor. Thank you, Darina, so much for joining me on this very first episode of Butt Movers. So, there it is. My very first attempt at shining a spotlight on how a butt mover changes the world. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode. If you enjoyed it, I would love if you would share it with one friend who might enjoy it as well. Please get in touch and share what you learned, what you loved, what you'd suggest I change in the future. I would love to hear from you. You can check it out at buttmovers.com. That's B-U-T-movers.com. Or on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or SoundCloud, also at buttmovers, B-U-T-movers. If you know a butt mover or you are a butt mover and you'd like to have a conversation, please, please get in touch. Tune in again in two weeks for the next episode of Butt Movers. 
In the next episode, I'll be chatting with Richard Sams, who is the co-founder and CEO of Mahara, a super exciting company that's shaking up the way startups are able to, well, start. In our chat, Rich shares with me some interesting insights on the concepts of failing fast, as well as the importance of communication. I hope you'll join me then. And until next time, get out there and move those butts.